Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. We're continuing our series called DNA. Remember, we started last week, and we started with talking about the gospel. Um, and as this, this week, we're going to be, be talking about what it means to love Jesus. Next week, love each other. The week after that, love our world. And so all of those things kind of come together to say, what is it that's important to us as a church? We want to know what we value in all those things. So you've heard us say that quite often, love Jesus, love each other, love our world. So we're going to dig into those and see what they mean um, and give some more details on that. These things are pretty um, important to us. It's usually pretty easy to see what is important to people. If you just scroll through someone's Facebook page, I don't know if you ever meet someone and then pretty quickly after that you kind of scroll down a little ways, be like, okay, who are they? What are they about, right? You can usually figure, well, at least some version of the person you can figure out pretty quickly, right? Some people, they only post things sports related. Some people only food where I come from, people post a lot of like hunting-related things, right? Um, or, or maybe this, maybe it's just you know they only post like pictures of kids and family. Or um, there are some people who only post and share just strange things. I don't even know where they find the things that they post and share. But that's you're like I don't even know what you are about because you're sharing and posting strange things. But we like to share um, and talk about what we like. And so my first hope with kind of this series and with, with Renaissance as a church is that we will have a clear understanding of, of what each of these things, love Jesus, love each other, love our world, we'll have a clear understanding of what those things mean. And then my second hope is that when the community around us, um, you know, in a sense, scrolls through our page, not really, literally, but kind of, you know, sees who we are, that they will say these things about us. They'll say, well, I don't really know exactly um, you know, I may not be on board with what they believe. I may not be on board with that, but they love Jesus and they love each other and they love the world around them. Like, that's what I want us to be known for, um, especially in this neighborhood, this community. But, um, you know, over time that God would allow us to be known as a church that loves Jesus, loves each other and loves the world. So last week we talked about the gospel. Now the gospel encompasses everything that we do in this basic idea of the gospel kind of says, I can't do it, but God can. I, I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. I can't make things happen on my own. But God in his grace has loved me and saved me. And if, just to remember that the gospel is what makes all of these things function and run. It's kind of the foundation for our church. It's the good news of Jesus that we don't love God out of our own power, but we love God because he has first loved us. And so as a church, we recognize that each person is sinful and broken and incapable of fixing ourselves or earning God's love. We are dependent on the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ to forgive us, make us new, and empower us to live for him. And so just to kind of, again, catch us up, the gospel is what um, really is kind of the, the, the oil in the engine of who we are, that we love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. As we go through the next few weeks, again, it's my prayer that God will stir your heart with a deeper passion for Jesus, 
a deeper desire to make him known in our city and around the world. And so uh, if you're with us tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, my hope is that you will see and be drawn to the beauty and the goodness of Jesus Christ through, through tonight and through this series as we continue to go. Um, and then I, I invite each of you to join us in praying for this church, praying for this city, and praying for many people um, here to find hope and life in Jesus Christ. Because the reality is that there are people all around us who are living lives that are pretty hopeless, living lives that are pretty broken. And if what we believe is true, then we have the answer to that brokenness. We have hope that fills that deepest longing in our heart, the longing for connection, the longing to be satisfied, that so often we try to satisfy, people try to satisfy that through all kinds of things, and yet we believe that the good news of Jesus is what makes us whole and brings us to a place where we say, all I have is Christ and all I need is Christ. And so uh, it's, it's so, so valuable to us. And so that's what we want to be known for and what we want to share. So um, as we jump in tonight, we're going to look at two major aspects of what it means um, to love Jesus. So we're going to look at why do we say love Jesus? Why is that part of the, the statement? And then what does it look like for Renaissance to love Jesus. So what are some, some practicalities of that? So that's kind of where we're heading tonight. So to begin, I want to answer that question of why do we say love Jesus? Why not say love God? Or, you know, um, and we could. It's not, it's not a, a bad thing to say that. But what we kind of have found is that we can't assume that people believe that Jesus is the only way to God. We can't make that assumption. This is not widely understood in our city or, or around the world. Sometimes even in churches, it's not always understood that Jesus is the only way to get to God. And often the general thought is it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Or this idea of like, okay, all roads lead to heaven. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. And as long as we're dedicated, then eventually, hopefully, we'll, we'll be with God. And whatever, you know, you, kinda, you could ask people a lot of questions and you'll get a lot of different versions of what does it mean to what does God mean? What does heaven mean? What does eternity mean? So it's a, it can be a little um, kind of a broad understanding. So these are common perceptions um, in, our, in our culture and sometimes even in churches that if you're just, um, if you're a devout person, you're good, you try to be a good person, um, then really no matter what you believe, eventually you'll, you'll get to God. So for us to say love Jesus, we're, we're narrowing that down and being very, very specific. Because actually even the word God can actually cause more confusion, right? Because you could probably walk around and ask 15 people, tell me who God is. And you might get 20 different answers, you know, I don't know, of different ideas of this is what I think God is or this concept or this idea or this philosophy, all kinds of different things. And so, you know, the definition of God can be very, very broad for a lot of people. So for us here at Renaissance, we desire to be very clear about who we are. When we say love Jesus, we are declaring that we worship, follow, serve, and live for Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. He is the Son of God, God who came to earth to die on a cross and pay the penalty of the sin of mankind. And that, was a, that was a lot, but that's why we say love Jesus, because we want it to be very clear. This is what we believe. And in a way, this is very different than saying love God. 
And of course, we don't say love Jesus in opposition to love God, right? We, we believe that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, there's no disunity in God and the Trinity, right? So we're talking about the Trinity, which is just a, it's a difficult concept, I understand. But, you know, kind of some distinctive things about the Trinity um, is that there is, there is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit is each fully and eternally God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit is each a distinct person. And so we believe in the Trinity. And so it's not like we say love Jesus in opposition to love God, but we say love Jesus to be very clear about who we are and what we believe. Most of the time, people don't have a problem with someone talking about God. Right? If you were to talk to someone and say, yeah, I believe in God, okay, that's cool. But when we start talking about Jesus as the only way to God, it can probably pretty quickly get a little awkward, right? I don't know if you've ever had that experience. And where, where in, in, if you stop and think about it and try it if you haven't, if you're in a room with a bunch of people and start talking about, hey, I love God and God has been really good and what do you believe about God? And then all of a sudden, if we start to say, man, Jesus Christ is the only way to God and he has changed my life, that puts up a whole nother level of this is what I believe. And people oftentimes push back against that. And so it's not necessarily a popular thing for us to say. But at the same time, we believe it is God's word. We believe it is true that Jesus is the only way to God. Now, we don't desire to be awkward, right? Nobody desires to be awkward. I think if you are awkward, you may not know you're awkward, which is just a big problem, right? Um, so anyways, but you guys have to laugh at my, my jokes. These are just... <laughs> That wasn't like some deep philosophical uh, thought about awkwardness, right? Um, but we do believe, in, so we don't want to be awkward, but we do believe and proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, the only way to salvation. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, there's this story where Peter and John, they're going to the temple, and there's a guy sitting there outside the temple, and he, he's crippled, and he's calling out to them for money. And Peter and John walk over, and they say, sorry, we don't have any money, but we do have something that you might want. And they pray for him and he's healed, right? And the guy is rejoicing. The guy is just, you know, amazed at what God has done. Well, the problem was this was a Sabbath day. So the religious leaders were um, pretty upset and they're saying, why are you doing this? You can't do this. And then they were also angry. They were saying, you can't go around preaching and healing people in the name of Jesus. This is what they told Peter and John. They bring them before this council, and, and, and Peter and John, they get there, and they, um, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, this is what they say. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so the problem for these religious leaders in Acts chapter 4, you can go read it, it's an incredible story. The problem wasn't that they were healing and doing good things. The problem was they were doing it in the name of Jesus. Who, if you remember, we're in Acts chapter 4. This isn't very far removed from the book of Luke, um, and the, you know, the time when Jesus was alive. So Jesus, you know, had been crucified and, and you know, the religious leaders thought they had taken care of him. And now all of a sudden people are going around healing and preaching in the name of Jesus. And they're going, they're kind of scrambling again and saying, we've got to stop this. And so they bring Peter and John, we're going to throw you in jail. And, and, and Peter and John say, we can't. We can't help but preach in the name of Jesus because there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved except the name of Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says very clearly, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
And sometimes scripture, as we read scripture, we can look and, and we can think, okay, God, help us understand what this means. But this is so clear where Jesus says, I am the way. He's saying there is no other way. I am the truth. There is no other truth. I am the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. And that word through will be important here in a minute. So we believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus is the only way to God. Earlier, Peter read for us in Romans 5, 1 through 11. This is a beautiful section of scripture. We're gonna look at it again tonight. It points to Jesus as the only way to God. As I was reading through it, this passage has the word through, okay? That word through is five times in these verses. Okay, it happens in verse one. Verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in, in, the, in hope of the glory of God. You move to verse five, the words there again, um, it says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Okay, it, it shifts gears a little bit and talks about God's spirit coming to us, God's love coming to us through the Holy Spirit. But then you go to verse 11 and we have it two more times. It says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, and he is hammering away. Salvation is through Jesus. It's not in any other way. It's not something you earn. It's not through just devotion to believing whatever you want to believe. Salvation is through Jesus. And each of these instances points to the fact that we are saved through, through Jesus. Through Jesus, we can have peace with God. It's a beautiful truth from this scripture that we are on our own. We're separated from God. We're enemies of him. And we talk about this all the time. And yet Jesus came to us so that we can be made right with God. In our weakness and brokenness, Christ came for us, pouring out his love for us. Verse six, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It goes on, it says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. And Paul's just using some common sense here. It's like, you know, there might be someone who would die on behalf of someone else if that person was a good, a good person. But if you find someone who is just like the lowest of the low and they're, you know, a criminal or whatever it was, most people aren't just going to step in and say, I'll take his penalty. And yet that's what Christ has done for us. We have to recognize our brokenness recognize our sinfulness and our weakness, unable to save ourselves, and yet Christ came to us that we could be made right with God in our weakness and brokenness. Christ came, pouring out his love for us. And having peace with God changes everything. You look back up in, in verse 3. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. This concept of understanding that when we are made right with God through Jesus Christ, when our lives are transformed by the gospel, when we experience the love of God in our hearts and in our lives, it gives us the ability to endure difficult things, to endure suffering, Reality is, as humans, suffering comes. We face it at one time or another. We will experience loss and pain and sickness and all of these things. And yet when we understand who Jesus is and what he has offered to us, that he has given his life for us, when we are made right with God, 
we can then, as Paul wrote, we can rejoice in our sufferings. We say, how do we do that? How do we rejoice when things are just falling apart? It's when we understand and remember that we have been made right with God. And God does not leave us alone in our suffering, but he walks through that suffering with us. And in the midst of that, he builds us. He teaches us perseverance and character and gives us hope. And it's easy to talk about this, right? It's a whole other thing to live through it. But we have to understand that the truth of God's word is that when we come to God through Jesus, that we can walk through suffering. We are never promised that we won't have that. But God is so good and so faithful that he walks with us through the middle of that. Verse 11, again, we'll read it one more time. It says, more than that, I'll read verse 10 as well. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Paul, again, is so strongly stating, he's making a point that salvation comes only through Jesus. We were reconciled to God. We were made right with God when we were far from him. That's the grace of Christ that he reveals himself to us and we respond and say, Jesus, I need you to make me new. And he makes us new and changes us and gives us hope through Jesus. So we say, love Jesus, because we want it to be clear what we believe. But of course, not everyone shares this belief in the world, right? So there's some challenges to this idea. And if you want like the big, maybe like, theological term for this. It's the exclusivity of Jesus. That Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the exclusive way. Now, does that mean that as a church we think we're better than other people? No, it's completely the contrary. We come weak and humble saying we have been saved not because of ourselves and yet we come with hope because Jesus is the only way. So, but there are some challenges to this belief, okay? Four, four things that um, kind of, as we think through this, um, globalization, right? People moving around all kinds of different places. And so all of a sudden, you know, probably long, long, long ago, people lived where they lived and didn't really go anywhere else, right? And then people started building big boats and going all over the place and people started moving all around, right? So globalization started like, you know, in the 1400s or maybe even before. But really, 1400s, they start building big boats and sailing around, right? Now, you know, it's the reality that you can get on an airplane and be on the other side of the world tomorrow. And, you know, so globalization, so you've got all these different cultures, all these different belief systems mixing together and people look at that and say, well, how can Jesus be the only way? There's all these different cultures. And so many people will look at that and say, I, I, can't, I can't accept that Jesus is the only way. So that's a challenge to communicating the good news of Jesus. Okay? Another one's political correctness, right? Because it's, it's difficult to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and Jesus is the only way to God. Right? That's not very politically correct because you're in essence saying you are wrong, Right? And so again, we don't say that to people with this attitude of like, we're right, you're wrong, but this attitude of saying, we want to share who Jesus is. But political correctness will keep people from saying, this is the truth, right? You guys see what the 20, 2016, the, the word of the year added to the Oxford Dictionary? It was post-truth, which I'm not even, you know, I can't remember the exact definition, but it just means like truth that isn't really truth anymore, I guess. 
I don't know. Interesting. But for us to say we believe in truth, we believe Jesus is the way to God, um, is not very politically correct. And that can be a challenge, too, communicating that. Um, tolerance, which again is kind of this thing, like you believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe, and we'll all be good. And so that's a challenge to saying, no, Jesus is the only way. And the fourth thing is the idea of hell, right? And we talked a little bit about hell last week, but the reality that what we believe as a church is that the decision that we make about Jesus in our life determines our eternity. And anyone who has put their faith and hope in Jesus will spend eternity with God in heaven, and anyone who has not will spend eternity separated from God in hell. And again, just to recap last week, it's not that God just like hates people and sends people to hell. It's that God over and over and over offers his love, came to earth himself, reveals himself, offers salvation to people, and people so often reject it and say, no, I want to do it my own way. I can't believe in that. I can't trust that. I want to do it my way. And it's this continual rebellion against God. And when life ends, they are separated from God in the same way they are separated from God in life. So again, but this idea of hell is hard for people to swallow because they think, well, how could we have a God that would do that? And I really believe it is the opposite. We have a God that is so loving that he has given us the chance to follow him freely. And he has given us his word that reveals himself to us. And he has sent his son to us so that we can have salvation through Jesus. And kind of along with these things, um, there's some like major opposing ideas of Jesus as the only way. So one of them is pluralism, which kind of says that all religions are valid, all are going to heaven, right? And so, in, in my opinion, I, this can't be true because if each religion claims the truth, someone is wrong, right? Um, and so even just like the simple logic of it, like because... You know, what we believe is very different from what someone in an Eastern religion would believe or what, an, you know, what a Muslim would, might believe. And yet, to look at all that and say, okay, well, everybody's right, doesn't make sense. So this idea of pluralism, that all religions are valid, all are going to heaven. Um, the second idea is inclusivism, right? Inclusivism teaches that people are saved because of the death and grace of Christ, but people from other religions will be saved who never heard of Jesus through no fault of their own. Okay? And I understand, this is a lot tonight. And if you want to talk more about this, we can talk about it in a community group because I, you know, we want to be able to share and talk about, okay, this is what we believe and why. And if something is confusing, just talk to us about it. We want to, we want to have that back and forth. But this idea of inclusivism is, um, is, is kind of that like, as long as someone is devout, they'll be fine. We'll just include well, this idea that everyone's included because of what Jesus did, yes, but everyone's included, even if they didn't um, choose to follow him. Uh, and the third one's universalism, which is everyone's saved no matter what, right? Um, and so again, we, we don't hold to any of these at Renaissance. We believe that Jesus is the only way to God and that no one comes to God except through faith in Jesus, turning away from our sins, putting our faith in Jesus as the only way to God. So that was a very, very long explanation of why we say love Jesus. But I want us to think through these things because it's not just a nice little six word, it's more than six words, it's whatever. It's not like, it's not just a nice little statement, right? It has, there's depth of why we say that the way we do it, right? So we love, we say love Jesus because we want to be clear that Jesus is the only way to God. So as we look at all this, what do we do with that? As Christians, we must stand on the truth that Jesus is the only way. 
Yes, it can be offensive. We've got to understand that the gospel, the Bible itself says that oftentimes the gospel can be offensive. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's why you can talk about the cross and one person could say, God is so gracious. And another person could say, that's crazy. Because the gospel can be offensive because it offends our human nature. But God never offends us to the point where he just says, forget about you. We are, that offense that we feel is us pushing back against it's that surrender to God. And so we make it our aim to proclaim that Jesus is the only way, even if people say, I don't want that. But we continue in love to show them that Jesus is the only way. The reality is that by saying that Jesus is the only way to God, we are saying that millions of sincere, well-meaning people are wrong. And again, like I already said, this seems arrogant. Like we're looking down our noses at others, but it is far, that's far from the truth. We recognize this reality with sadness and humility. We did not earn our salvation. So why can we brag like we did? The gospel causes us to view all of this differently. Instead of looking down on others, we go to them with the good news. We can rejoice in the grace of God because apart from Jesus, there is no hope. Yet, he has invited all people to come to him. And that's what can compel us to go and compel us to say, we have the answer. We have the answer to the brokenness in us. We have hope and it's found in Jesus. So we say love Jesus because it clearly states who we are and what we believe. Okay, so the first question was, why do we say love Jesus? The second one was, what does it look like for us as a church to love Jesus? So some practical things um, for our church. So first of all, um, my hope and prayer is that each of us are being transformed by the love of Jesus and that we are living it out in our day-to-day life. As we talked about last week, the gospel means good news. When we place our faith in Jesus, our lives are transformed, made new, and we can live a life that shows the love of Christ. So that's, you know, again, of saying, what does it mean for us in a practical way? Well, I hope on an individual level that we every day are saying, are seeing the grace of God, and we are responding to God, saying, God, I, I love you. Jesus, I love you because who you are and what you have done. That our lives are reflecting the goodness of Jesus in our lives. Secondly, as a church, we show our love for Jesus when we gather on Sundays. When we gather together, this is, this is a practical time of us saying we love Jesus. Okay, and there's other times that we gather, whether we gather at, you know, a community group or even other times throughout the week, but those, when we are together, we are saying we love Jesus. And there's three practical ways that we, that this happens. First of all, it's through the preaching of God's word. We believe that the Bible is the word of God given to us, as, as, first, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God's word is given to us by God so that we will know God and follow him and have our lives adjusted to him rather than adjusting, having God adjust to our lives, right? Often we, we you know, many people would say, well, I'm going to believe what I want and just hope that God fits into that. And yet we believe that we adjust our lives to what God's word says rather than the opposite. 
We believe that God's word is powerful. There's a story in the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 37. And I love this imagery in the story. In the story, Ezekiel was there. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. And God brings him out into this just barren place. There's nothing out there. And he brings him to this hill overlooking a valley. And in the valley, it was filled with bones, like human, like people, like dry bones, right? And that's, if you just stop and try to picture that, it's a pretty haunting image, right? So there's this valley of dry bones. And God told Ezekiel to preach to them. Ezekiel's probably like, that makes no sense. It's just dry bones. There's like no life out there, right? And yet he obeys and he preaches. And as Ezekiel preaches, these bones come alive. And if you read Ezekiel 37, it's, it talks about, look, there's just this imagery of them coming together and them, you know, flesh coming onto them and air coming into them. And this is a picture of the power of God's word, the power of scripture. That in our deadness, in our brokenness, when, when we put God's word in our life, we see who God is. And so a practical way for us to love Jesus is through putting a high value on his word. Because we believe that God's word, that the Bible is God's word spoken to us. And God reveals himself to us and reveals Jesus to us through the Bible. We put a high value on the Bible being preached and taught. We're imperfect people. When I'm up here or Graham or Ben, whoever it is, we're imperfect people, right? We don't always get it right. But we strive to present God's word clearly and accurately and truthfully. And so when you come, we, we put a high, like I said, high value on God's word. We, we want you, when you come, to have scripture, to read it, to think through it, because we never want to begin teaching or preaching anything that is not found in God's word. And so as a church, we together take God's word and say, what does it say? How do we live that out? And that is a practical thing way that it looks like for us as a church to love Jesus. So first, for one of the practical ways that we love Jesus is through his word. Secondly, is through worship. Worship is not only music, right? But at the same time, music is an important way for people to worship God. Worship, when you really get down to it, it's, it's really giving God what he deserves. That God is worthy. Okay, if you break down that word, it comes from this, this idea of being worth, worthship, that God is worth our lives. He deserves what we give to him. And so worship is, of course, way broader than just music. It's us giving our lives to God. But when we gather on Sundays and we sing together, we sing to God, we sing about God, we remind each other of the goodness of God, this is a practical way that we show our love for Jesus. And when we sing and we gather and sing, it is far more than some sort of strange Christian karaoke. That's not what it is. It's us gathering to sing to and about our great and awesome God. And that's our hope that when we're together, when we're worshiping together, that we are filled with joy and courage and encouragement because of who God is, because of what Jesus has done, that we're reminded, sometimes reminded of our brokenness, right? That's okay. We sang tonight, Lord, I need you. It's good to remind ourselves of that, but then turn around and say, but God, you are my one defense. You're my righteousness, and I lean upon you. And so worship is a way that we remind ourselves. At the beginning of the service, Ben read from Psalm 148. This was a beautiful picture of worship, of people from all different places and, and different types of people worshiping and honoring God. 
So we make it our aim to sing songs that lift up the name of Jesus because his name is above every other name. So we want to talk about Jesus. We want to sing about Jesus. We want to preach about Jesus. And the third thing, the third way, that, a practical way that we show love for Jesus is through prayer. And so when we pray together here at church or we pray together at community group or with each other throughout the week, that, that we understand that's a way that we love Jesus. Prayer is communication with God. Just think about that. That's an incredible thought. That God, the creator of everything, hears our prayers. We can communicate with God. We talk to God. We listen to God. We show our love for Jesus as a church by praying together. Prayer shows our dependence on God. That's the heart of prayer, of us saying, God, we just want to be close to you. We need you. That's the heart of prayer is this longing for dependence on God. And prayer shows our longing for a relationship with God because if we're willing to put time and effort into saying, God, I want to be with you, it's the same as, as, as putting in time and effort with a person that we spend time with them so that we can know them, so that we can communicate, and so that we can talk. And prayer is how we do that with God. We show our love for Jesus through our prayers. So those are three practical ways. There's probably more ways of what it looks like in a very, very practical way. But that's why we gather, is to proclaim Jesus, to show who Jesus is, to remind each other, to, to, to hopefully proclaim to people around us that we love Jesus. So as we kind of close tonight, not kind of close, as we actually close tonight, right? Why do we say love Jesus? Because I'm convinced of the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. The Bible shows us clearly that he is the only way. And each person has a longing in their heart that can only be answered by Jesus. There is nothing else that brings peace with God. As we read in Romans 5, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Because we can try to have peace with God through keeping the rules. We can try to have peace with God through just trying to be good, through being kind, through just trying or through just saying whatever happens, happens. We will not have peace with God unless we go through Jesus Christ. The depth of the love of God for us, shown to us through his son Jesus on the cross, in the midst of our sin and weakness, is why we say love Jesus. Let me say that again. The depth of the love of God for us, shown to us through Jesus on the cross, even when we are sinful and broken and weak, that God has shown us that. That's why we say we love Jesus, because he has first loved us. We love because he has loved us, and he has proven his love to us time and time again. And now we must turn to him in surrender. So Renaissance, we boldly and gladfully and joyfully say we love Jesus, because he is the way to God. And tonight, you may need to say, I need to respond. I need to choose Jesus, because I've been trying to get to God through some other way. But Jesus is the only way to get to God. And we will continue to, to, to boldly and, and loudly proclaim that, not because we are intolerant or whatever it is, but because we believe that it's true. And if it's true, it's worth being proclaimed. So tonight, do you need to turn to Jesus 
in faith and say, forgive me of my sin. I can't get to God on my own. I can only get to God through Jesus. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to set up a time to meet with you and talk with you about that. Secondly, are you living in response to his love? And so are you saying, Jesus has loved me. He has given me forgiveness. He has shown himself to me. Am I living my life as a result of that? Because it impacts the way that we interact with people and the way that we think and the way that we talk and it impacts everything about us. And so we can search our hearts and say, Jesus, am I letting the love that you have shown me change me and teach me how to follow you? Are we saying that Jesus is the only way but living like that's not true? I think the way that we do that is by saying, okay, Jesus is the only way, and yet as we go through life, we're like, well, you know, hopefully they're, at least they're devout, or at least they're nice, or, you know, whatever it is. You know, and again, the last thing I'm saying is that we get, you know, big signs and go out and say, you know, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, that's, because that never points anyone to the love of God, right? But that we go and we say, can I tell you who Jesus is? Can I tell you what he has done in my life? Because he has transformed me. And we show people through our lives and through our words who Jesus is. When we believe that he is the only way, we are compelled to proclaim that.